Wacky Bam up, Wap Wap, Biscuit to do, Bamba Dabba Wana, Wap Wap, Biscuit to Wap Wap, Wanny and Ada. Can you give me a Bani Adi Adam? Bani Adi Adam, good Scotty Wap, Scotty Wap, give it a Bobby Boo. Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, October 25th, 2020. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Uh, Peter, Encore Magazine. This is new. Yes, it is. Um, it's coming out in January, and um, if you want to know more about it, um, we'll certainly tell you, but um, <laughs> the best way is to go to EncoreMonthly.com, and uh, they'll tell you all about what's going up. And um, yes, I've uh, been asked to contribute, and um, I've written my first two articles already for January and February, So, uh, and have an assignment for March. So um, it appears that I'll be there every uh, month, and... Uh, It'll be fun to have a nice, big, glossy magazine uh, dealing with the theater, and that's what this is. And Robert Viagas, um, who was the mastermind behind Playbill.com, um, the true webmaster, uh, is the editor-in-chief, and um, he's written a lot of books about the theater, and uh, he knows his onions. So as a result, um, I have great hopes for Encore. So EncoreMonthly.com. Excellent. So, uh, also, you are busy tomorrow. What are you doing with our good friend Josh Ellis? Yeah, um, some months ago at the York Theater Company, uh, Josh and I did a show called In Philly, Boston, or Baltimore, because I grew up in Boston, he grew up in Philly, and both of us uh, went to Baltimore to see shows. He, just because he was curious, I, partly because I was married to a woman from Baltimore at the time, and um, it went over reasonably well, and um, they've asked us to come back, and we thought, well, um, I, uh, did we tell all our stories maybe we did maybe we didn't but how about talking about uh, shows that involve the president since we're about to have a presidential election so we're going to be talking about shows that did have presidents in them or shows the president saw and um, what attracted certain presidents to go to certain shows some like musicals some like plays some like nothing at all in the theater that's Calvin Coolidge um, but nevertheless um, so many presidents did have interaction with the theater, uh, even uh, having casts come down to the White House, as Richard Nixon did with 1776. So that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. And by the way, given that both of us saw 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the uh, terrible disaster uh, that Alan J. Lerner of My Fair Lady fame and Leonard Bernstein of West Side Story fame did together, which uh, both of us agree was a glorious mess. Um, we're going to be talking about that. Josh saw it, saw it in Philly. I did not see it in Baltimore, uh, just nearby. It played the National Theater in Washington, and I was there. Third row center, literally. So that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. And um, if you go to the York Theater's website, you'll be able to tune in. Uh, it doesn't cost a dime, and uh, we hope you do. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could, you could find his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Sing a few old classics. A couple of favorites of mine. I'll get back to you in a second. Thank you. as old as time Thank you, thank you very much True as it can be Barely even friends Beauty and look at this stuff With us this morning, we have a very special guest. James Monroe Eichelhart is joining us. 
Broadway fans will know James from many places, and if we dig very far back, we talk about the 25th annual Putnam <laughs> County Spelling Bee, wow. Memphis, Aladdin, where you ain't know had a friend like him, uh, Hamilton, and Freestyle Love Supreme, the FSL folks. Uh, James, thank you for getting up on a Sunday morning and talking with us at Broadway Radio. Oh, please. My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like when someone says, hey, you want to do Broadway radio? I'm like, of course, I would love to. I, I haven't done it. Let's let's do this. <laughs> well, thank you. So, thank you so much. Because, you know, it's not like you had a, a busy couple of two weeks here, right? No, no, no. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm used to, you know, waking, you know, being a Broadway person, waking up at 6 a.m. and going to bed at 3 a.m. You know, that, that's that's normal completely. <laughs> so uh, just about uh, 10, 12 days ago or so, uh, you did the uh, the non-traditional Tony Award nomination announcements uh, <laughs> in the fall, which yes. I, I, I mean... Peter, have we ever had a fall announcement of Tony Award nominations? No, I don't, I don't think, think we think have. So. Yeah. No, I don't think so. How did you get roped into that? You know, um, to be <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't know. Um, I got a call. From, I got a call from my agent. And he says, "Hey, uh, you've been you've been asked to uh, read the Tony nominations." And I was like, "Yes," because deep down, you know, don't get me wrong, I love being on Broadway and TV and things like that. But my goal someday is to host the Tonys. Like, from the, from the yeah, from the first time I ever saw like um, Billy Crystal host the Oscars, I was like, I think I want to do something like that. And then I always see the guys, you know, and the ladies host the Tonys. And I was like. I could do that. So this is like my 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 time getting closer to that moment. You know, I know you have to be a bigger star to host the Tonys, but I just I, th- I feel like I got my foot in the door. But basically, what happened? I think they called my agent. And they know I've done some things for uh, the league uh, over the past couple of months during this uh, crazy COVID time, and they decided to go with me. And I'm I'm very honored to. I was very honored to do it. So you were not only a nominee but a winner by Best Performance of an Actor in a Featured Role in a Musical in 2014 for Aladdin, which uh, gets you into that elite club of people who can actually host the Tonys because you have a Tony. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't realize you had to win one to host it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, that's, what, that's, that's what I'm told. That's <laughs> what they hurt. <laughs> they keep telling me I can't host it because I haven't won one yet, so I don't know if that's just an excuse. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but so, yeah, so what, you know, flashback to the um, the spring of 2014 and you're doing yeah. Aladdin and and the hardest working person on Broadway right yeah. at, at, at that moment mm-hmm. Thank uh, you very much. and yeah and, and you, you get the phone call uh, on that on that morning when they make the announcement somebody else who was making the announcement of the nominees yeah. when you um, when you were I don't know who else I know Fran Dresser I think was one of oh, them I'm so sorry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, and I only know that because um <laughs> I laughed because she she kind of botched my name a little bit uh. and then when we got to the Tony she's going to kill me she's going to kill me if we ever meet um, but I did I did thank I did thank her uh, for you know doing the Tonys when I, I met her at uh, the Harry Potter uh, opening uh, the Cursed Child but when if you watch the Tonys like she says Josh Henry's name or my name in the wrong space and the camera goes oh. to Josh camera goes to me and I was like man you know me and Fran Drescher we just don't have luck on 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 some kind of camera media we need to we need to uh, our our moons need to align but it was it was really really cool I remember uh, I was sitting in my apartment with my wife and we are not morning people at all I never <laughs> I, I no seriously I never have been I told my dad when I was ten, when I was 10 years old it was my birthday because the first day of school was always on my birthday September 4th and my dad was like hey get up and I was like you know someday I'm not going to get up in the morning he was like that's great but that's not today you will be getting up today and going going to work so well, we he got... wanted to give you presents that's exactly you know he did no he didn't he wanted to get in the car and go but oh. I love him but <laughs> but uh, we we got up in the morning and we watched and i when they called my name i just i literally screamed we mm. i literally screamed and just started crying because i remember you know when you're a broadway fan as a kid to that that's that's the moment not not just to be on broadway but to be in that elite group of well that's terrible to say elite group especially in these times mm-hmm. but just to be just to be in that group of people who you know were, were nominated for for your performance so it was no, it's awesome a, it's an apt word um let me Thank ask you. you um given the fact that um your daddy was a minor league baseball player as yeah. well as an actor mm-hmm. that's that's a combination we don't hear about very much um did you ever see him play ball or was that all over by the time uh, you came along by the time i came along he was all over he was 17 when he played ball but he um he coached uh little league and uh he's the fun thing is he coached there's a (laughs) 
There was a Little League group, and um, they basically gave my father the equivalent of the Bad News Bears. Um, uh. It was they were a ter- <laughs> they were a terrible hodgepodge of kids of color. We were in we were in Hayward, California, but they threw all of the kids from all of like the ratchet parts uh. of the neighborhood to my dad, and my dad built them into a championship team. And then they tried to get my dad fired. Like, How dare you, black man, come in here and take mm. these kids of color who should not win and make them into a championship team? <laughs> and then they found <laughs> out my dad used to play pro ball, and they were like, "It's not fair. He can't coach." He used to actually play. So, um, so were you on the team? No, I was too young. I was I was on the little league team. I was in the minor leagues, and I was awful. Boy, let me tell you, I I realized that you know there are certain stereotypes in the world. Like and people love to make stereotypes about you know African Americans being great at sports. I'm not one of them. I am not that guy. I am not that basketball player. I am not that baseball player. I like to watch it. I'm good at watching, but playing, no. Mm-hmm. I got hit in the head so many times. I'm surprised I don't. I didn't have a permanent concussion. I just always caught the ball with my face, and I was like, well, I should go do something else because this is not. What working all right but it, the fact that he was an actor as well was that in community theater or uh, no any- my dad actually if you look it up uh what's funny is i always tease him now i said i've got more google hits than him now um ah, but if you uh-huh. if you google james Inglehart, people spelled my dad's name wrong they put an n in it dad uh was in uh films in the 70s and um one of his big films was a terrible movie that was written by Roger Ebert that is a cult classic on oh, VH1 Beyond every the Valley year. Oh, Valley of the Dolls? Exactly. If you look, wow. the, 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 bo- the boxer is my father. Look um, at that. And also he did films with uh, the great uh, and amazing Jane Kennedy and Leon Isaac Kennedy in the 70s. You know, um, fi- if you look for Fighting Mad or look for Death Force on uh, Amazon, you'll see my dad, this big buff dude with a samurai sword. And that's that's him. And when I was about five years old, he decided to retire. And um, so I've had singing with my mom being a music teacher and a singer, a gospel singer and acting in the house since I was born. So therefore, they were supportive of you as you were growing up uh, oh, in this big time. career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were actually too honest. You know, I, you know, some people go, Hey, you know, you can make it. You can do it, son. My dad was like, Hey, man, um, this is hard. And people go uh-huh. say no to you. So you need to get a thick skin now. Cause if you can't do it, if you can't deal with that now, you might as well, you know, work at Macy's. And I was like, Well, I don't want to work at Macy's. So I mm-hmm. guess I'll get a thick skin. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. When Aladdin came along, I mean, this was a, a role that uh, I imagine a lot of people wanted. Was it one that you came in and they said right away, you're our uh, genie? Or was it a case that you had 17 callbacks? Um, it wasn't a case of having 17 callbacks. It was a case of not being called at all until the end. Um, <laughs> so they saw every brother in New York except for me. And then somehow what happened was Casey Nicola, our wonderful director, he was directing Book of Mormon at the time. He asked his cast, he said, hey, do you know anybody who could like do the genie? We're, we're looking for a guy. We're looking for African-American descent for, for genie. And it was um, two people, John Eric Parker, who I love dearly, who we did Memphis together, and he sings the Golden Plates in um, Book of Mormon, and also Jared Gertner and uh, Asmaret, uh mm-hmm. those three, basically at three separate times, told Casey about me. And Casey went to see Memphis, saw me, and that's how I got the call. Isn't that something? Wow. That's great. Wow. So... Uh, your most recent appearance on Broadway's uh, Freestyle Love Supreme. Can you explain to our listeners who haven't seen Freestyle Love Supreme what that is? <laughs> yes, Freestyle Love Supreme is a hip hop impro- hip hop improvisational group uh, where basically we take words that you throw at us and we throw it into hip hop games. Shockwave is our beatboxer, and also uh, Kaiser Rose Kayla is our beatboxer. She's a world champion beatboxer. You can look her up. We have two keyboardists, Arthur the Geniuses, as well as Bill. Sherman and we have a bunch of different MCs and those include Chris Jackson from Hamilton David Diggs, UTK, the INC, you can see him in movies like Pitch Perfect, MC Jelly Donut we have Anissa Folds, we have myself <laughs> we have also Wayne Brady and we have our amazing host Anthony Videnciali aka Two Touch and of course the main man that everybody seems to know, Mr. Lynn Man, Lynn Manuel Miranda Tommy Kale is our director, also director of In the Heights as well as Hamilton and we also have some amazing other folks who are with our group we have ian we have kurt we have ashley this group is just fire and when i say fire brothers on broadway radio i just want you to know that when we freestyle we come through with the show basically people throw words at us and without any fuss we come back with the stage not like a lion trapped in a cage but every rhyme that we hit always hits and roams your mind want you to hit it want you to get it never ever forget it went from off broadway to broadway came back and came back another day probably should have won a tony but only we didn't get it because our things weren't written and written down every single time we did it that's how we do 
that's what we do. That is our crew. And that's why Freestyle Love Supreme is so cool. Oh, I'm so thankful <laughs> that you went with it after I asked you. <laughs> that was such that a performance. Is... We should really write you a check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, um, Freestyle Love Supreme, as you pointed out, was was not a book mu- a book show, a no. book, musical book play, anything book, uh, and but uh, was on was on Broadway. Uh, um, you know, for three months or so, um, yeah. right before the pandemic shut everything down, and it and and I, I feel like it it could have run for years and years and years, except for I, I'm imagining your schedules of everybody that yeah. you had mentioned is yeah, with, hard with, to get those schedules together. Yeah, yeah, to to get all of those amazing performers together at once is is hard because what's funny is when we all first started with Freestyle Love Supreme, we all had nothing to do and. <laughs> So we just did freestyle. But thanks to freestyle, um, we were able to build these other projects. You know, there's In the Heights, there's Hamilton, uh, Chris Jackson's in TV, Bill Sherman is the MD for Sesame Street. Uh, many commercials are written by Jelly Donut. Arthur Genius is also a teacher as well as a musician. I mean, we have all these different people in our group who do so many different things that to get us all together, just it's kind of like herding cats. And thank God for Tommy Kale, because if he calls, he kind of like throws up the Thundercat symbol and we all come running. And he's like, hey, we're doing this off-Broadway thing. Okay, we're there. We're doing it Broadway. We all came. And then everybody had to run away after to do, go back to their projects after, after October. Talk about coordinating schedules uh, coming up uh, this weekend on Saturday, October 31st, 7 p.m. on Vimeo. You are doing a little gig called The Nightmare Before Christmas, a Halloween night benefit concert in support of the Lymphoma Research Foundation and the Actors Fund. And you have a, a, f- a few people involved with it. Why don't you tell us about this? Well, this is um, a, something that's really, really uh, near and dear to my heart. It's a virtual benefit concert of the songs of The Nightmare Before Christmas. And we have an amazing cast. We have uh, Raphael Cassell playing Jack. You would know him from uh, Blind Spotting, that great film that came out a couple years ago. We have the newly Tony nominee, Adrian Warren, playing uh, Sally from <laughs> Tina. And we have <laughs> the legendary, too many time Tony nominee, and hopefully should win someday Danny Burstein playing <laughs> our narrator and Santa but then we have some some wonderful amazing talented knuckleheads that I love dearly my boy uh, who I have an online a feud with my boy Nick Walker is playing Sha- uh, Locke <laughs> and the amazing lovely one of the funniest women in the world Leslie Margarita is playing Shock and then of course uh, mm-hmm. the incomparable and multi-talented Rob McClure is playing Beryl and oh, then for our ensemble group. yeah mm-hmm. for our ensemble most of my ensemble people uh, literally are not ensemble people they are principals who did ensemble just for me. <laughs> so we have Catherine Allison from Company, Jenny Barber from All My Sons, uh, yeah. Aaron Clemens from Hamilton, uh, Fergie Phillip from Hamilton, Juwan Jackson from Ain't Too Proud, and Brian Gonzalez from Aladdin. And Brian Gonzalez and I have known each other for 50,000 years. Same with Ginny and yeah. I. We, Ginny and I started on Broadway together with um, uh, 25th Annual Putnam Spelling Bee. So it's only four ninety nine. It's less than a bag of candy, uh, and it's going to be a wonderful uh, uh, event, and all of the money, all the proceeds are going to Lymphoma Research and the Actors Fund. I picked the Lymphoma Research Foundation because two years ago, my wife was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, oh. and there's nothing that prepares you for that. And if it hadn't been for their research and what they put together, I don't know if my wife would, would be here. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, January 12th, 2021, it'll be 19 years, so that would have been... Oh, wow. I, I don't know what I would have done if my wife would have been gone. Wow. But then there's the Actors just fun because hey i'm an actor and we heard the news that broadway isn't opening until may 2021 and so we need to you know give as much as we can because there are some actors who don't have gigs they're they're Mm -hmm. looking they're going paycheck to paycheck so i wanted to be able to put something together that i that i love i love the music of the show and it's going to be really trust me it's gonna be really really fun but i also wanted to give back and when i say give back my actors these actors are (laughs) there there's no money in this nobody's getting paid everybody every also i call it the um the homegrown professional show. Everything you're about to see is from people's houses. The wigs, and nobody uh, bought anything. So it's uh. like props from everybody, <laughs> props from everybody's houses, uh, scarves and sheets and wigs and sunglasses and <laughs> things people are using from their kitchen. We are literally doing just a good old fashioned story ta- storytelling night for this. It's not going to be all, you know, big and propped up. It's just getting together with your friends and telling the story and singing the songs. And I think it's going to have, a, I think people are going to have a good time. 
Oh, that's, that great. is great. And $4.99. Yes. I mean, if we can just get a million people to view, to view it, you know, yeah, you know I mean, it's four ninety nine, folks. Come on. <laughs> you know, we could do that. And also the great thing is, uh, you know, people always give, you know, give crap to big companies. I, I will say I am a Disney kid. I've always been a Disney kid. And then I became a part of the family. And when I asked them, I said, hey, I want to do this. And they were like, what do you want to do it for? And I said, I want to do it for, you know, this, these charities. And they were like, okay. I was like, really? They were like, okay. How wonderful. And then they said, they, they went and talked to Tim Burton. Tim Burton said, okay. They went and talked to Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman said, okay. And I was like, thank you guys. I got to sing Oogie Boogie for Danny Elfman at, at D23 in 2015 uh, for his li- Lifetime Achievement Award. And so when he heard we were doing this, he was like, yeah, go ahead. And I was like, you guys are the best. Well, you know, that movie I think is very beloved and um who knows? Maybe this will be the first step on, you know, having it developed into a, f- a full-fledged Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie and say that that's not my idea. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in the official uh, announcement here, it, the, the first name is James Monroe Iglehart in cooperation with Tim Burton and Danny Elfman and. Disney Music Group yes. presents. So uh, are, are we having some sort of career transition or addition? Um, maybe. I, I do know that um, as I get older, I, I enjoy being behind the table. Don't, trust me, I love being on stage. I'm always a spotlight hog. There has never been a camera or an audience I didn't love. But I'm enjoying try, uh, being behind the table and uh, put, putting some other voices to tell some stories. So I think I uh, think you'll see more of me doing this kind of thing, but you'll definitely never give me off stage. I, I can't. I, I, I need applause too much. <laughs> um, my question is um, irrelevant to this, but I, I've, I've wondered, I mean, were your parents fans of the fifth president of the United States that you became James Monroe? Or is <laughs> Actually, there a different? Funny. No, uh, they, this had nothing to do with the president. Matter of fact, I hated my name for years because of that. No, my mom's aunt um, she kind of cornered my parents on her deathbed. <laughs> oh. She said, she said she, you know, she did one of those, listen, James, Sandra, please, you know, before I die, just name your son either James Arthur or James Monroe. And I was so glad they named James Monroe because the only Arthur I knew was Arthur Fonzarelli. That's an old, uh-huh. that's an old comment for people who haven't watched Happy Days. Uh-huh. And I was like, please don't call me Arthur. Like, I wasn't thinking King Arthur. I was thinking the first Arthur that came to my mind was the Fonz. And he was, don't get me wrong, I know he was cool to most people, but I was like, he is not cool. I'm so glad I was not James Arthur. I'd have been pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So um, you you mentioned D23, and for yes. folks who are not immersed in the Disney universe, explains what D23 is. For those uh, people, basically, I'm going to say I'm going to uh, answer that question with another nerd answer. So Comic Con <laughs> is for big nerds. Comic Con mm-hmm. all around the nation is where all the comic book fans go, uh, and D23 is basically a Disney version of that. So if you're a Disney fan fanatic for real that's where everything is so it's one of those things where you can find everything from the coolest disney pop to the latest info on the mcu marvel cinematic universe or what pixar's coming out with what is the tiniest biggest disney toy coming out what are the parks doing it is basically a nerd place uh, you know a nerd haven for all things disney mm-hmm. yeah and it it makes me think that uh that they really like you there at Disney. I mean, you, I, you continue I, to expand your relationship with Disney. I do. Um, I grew up as Disney kid. My The first film I ever saw, my dad took me to the drive-in, and I'm so glad those are opening back up because I really think they're cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the drive-in <laughs> to see Disney's The Jungle Book, and I didn't know the bright colors, the songs, Baloo the Bear, everything. From that moment, I was like, what is this? And I've been a Disney kid ever since. All the, you know, from the, going to Disneyland, it, you know, five or six all the way up to now to all the parks I've been to through I've always wanted to be a Disney voice and I got the privilege to do that a couple different times there's a cartoon called Tangled the Animated Adventures um, Rapunzel's Tangled Adventures which is um, a break off of the a spinoff of the Tang- of the Tangled movie I got to be Lance Strongbow just this past week literally in the one week I was able to be a part of Vampirina um, as Oscar the Singing Bust uh, statue as well as DuckTales and it was a hour long Darkwing Duck special and I got to reprise the role of Terrace Bulba who was originally created by Tim Curry and to be able to be a voice on a Disney cartoon is like so so cool to me I have had the best time and I hope I get to keep doing it and, and any thoughts of um, 
Any thoughts of moving into uh, Disney on the other side of the table? Uh, you know, maybe you're the future Tommy Schumacher. <laughs> What's funny is I have made jokes to Tom before and said, "Teach me how to do what you do." And he goes, yeah. "You don't want." He goes, "You don't want to do what I do." And I was like, "Teach me how to do what you do." So I tease him as many times as I can. You never know. I mean. Uh, I think it'd be fun. I mean, I know it's, it's a lot of work and I know you get a lot of crap. Trust me. I mean, I, sure. I, I always, I always, I'm the guy who's always joking with people when they go, man, you know, when the corporations came into Broadway, man, destroyed it, uh, just took all mm-hmm. the art out of it, took all the art out of it. And I was like, okay, Lion King. Okay, that doesn't count. The yeah, costumes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the costume. The costumes in Beauty and the Beast. Well, um, um, the diversity. Don't get me wrong. I love Hamilton, but the diversity. The first people to put a bunch of black folks on stage, and also put any other race on stage. You know, um, well, as I also when nine eleven hit, the the musical that came back that brought it back, Lion King, and the other big one you don't like, Wicked. Um, um, I'm like, yeah, please be quiet. Let, let's not talk about. <laughs> <laughs> let's not let's not talk about what these corp what's what some of the corporate don't get me wrong every corporation is crazy in certain ways but sure. you cannot deny the nope. the artistry you cannot deny the professionalism nope. and you cannot deny what disney has brought to the what what brought to broadway and, and the so, new amsterdam the new amsterdam <laughs> yes. i mean yeah. that that thing that that thing literally was a swamp it was a sure. swamp with a tree growing in it and disney built it up to this beautiful <laughs> diamond right. on 42nd street i mm-hmm. mean 40, 42nd street i always teach people people like yo man new york is tough i was like look man i, I watched the documentaries on new york with 42nd street you notice how i said i watched the documentaries i didn't come to new york till till 42nd street was clean i, mm-hmm. I, I was like mm. i watched beat street i ain't doing that i'm not coming down there you crazy I had I had an apartment on 44th between 9th and 10th Avenue. I had a, a, a triplex with a with a, a balcony, um, and it was 1,200 bucks a month. And then Disney uh, cleaned up the New Amsterdam, and it went up to 3,000 bucks a month. Now and that so- now, now that now, now what, I, I will say this I will say this. <laughs> I like to defend Disney, but I can't not I cannot defend the fact that everything they do is expensive. Everything. I mean, I mean, I love I, lo- I love them, and I'm down. I'm you know family member. We trust me. Me and Disney, as an African American, Disney and I, we have our fights and we've had our ba- major discussions. But there's one thing I cannot deny: they are some expensive people. <laughs> If they do you move, get to do you get the VIP treatment at the parks? Do you do, do you every, every every now and then? What's funny is when I when I was genie, I definitely got some VIP perks. But what I did was uh, I I met some folks, and when you meet folks, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like a barter system. It's like tit for tat. They're like, mm, hey yeah. man, I need Broadway tickets. I'm like, got you. They're like, they're like you want to come to the park? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's so, so so it's not the big wigs to get anybody in trouble, but I have a couple friends and we uh we 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 trade we trade we trade skills and stuff like that. Well, uh, you know when uh you know freestyle love supreme and in fact uh, Hamilton, you, you have a close relationship with Lynn. Uh, did, yes. did, did the did the phone ring all the time and like hey house seats James? Uh no no I mean, oh you mean oh to to get in Hamilton oh my Hamilton gosh. yeah oh yeah. gosh yes I mean I <laughs> I found I found cousins I didn't know I had. Mm, you know? <laughs> it's like I made yeah. I made I you know somehow I did an interview for Hamilton and it was like oh you know it's all those people it's like hey uh. James, listen, I know we ain't seen each other since the last cookout, but me and the family are going to be in New York, and we was just wondering if you can get us some tickets tonight. And I'm like, tonight? Like, you call 17 now. 17 of them. You mean, 17 you mean, right. tickets, yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I blocked many a family member. I was like, no, no, no. And my mother would call, now, listen, James, you know there's some people at the church that saw you when you were four, and they're going to be in New Jersey. No, no, no. They can't, <laughs> they, they can't go. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Uh, when uh, around March, when the uh, when Broadway shut down, uh, were you still currently in Hamilton at that point? Yes, yes, I was. Yes, yeah, I was. you're doing uh, Lafayette Thomas Jefferson track. Exactly. It, it was a very interesting time because uh, the news. Uh, you'll probably hear this from most of the actors. The news kept changing day to day. It was like, yeah. okay, guys, uh, make sure that you uh, you know. Definitely wash your hands and don't and cough into your cough into your elbows. Great. Then the next day was say, hey, we are not going to be uh, shaking hands with any of the mm. fans when you sign autographs. Just just sign the next day. Okay, we're not signing autographs at all anymore. Mm. And then we came down. Uh, guys, were closing. We were like, whoa! Mm. It was mm. it was like day to day new things, and everybody was getting worried. We were like, what is happening? And we every we were watching the news. And all the a lot of us, you know, there was a, there was a couple, there was a crew of guys. I should say, not guys, but a couple of the, you know, 
grown. Our, our cast is young. We are either really, really young or really, really grown. And so, <laughs> and that's not a knock on anybody. It's just we got a lot of folks who are like mad young and, you know, just the, the vets, the veterans. So it was like me, uh, Mandy Gonzalez, um, Daniel Breaker, Wallace Smith. We're all like just sitting around going, hmm, I wonder if they're going to cl- shut us down for a minute, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it, it happened. And, and, and rightfully so. Sure. How was, uh, how did you, you know, go about your life and making plans and everything? At, you know, at the beginning of the shutdown, I was just talking to my wife about this this morning. You know, we thought it was going to be a quick, you know, yeah. you know, uh, type of thing. And then we realized that it's going to go on. So how did, how did you plan your life and your artistic endeavors uh, during the shutdown? Well, the great thing is I happen to be blessed to be married to one of the smartest women on the face of the planet. So my wife has planned when she makes plans, it's never plan A. It's always plan A through Mm-hmm. So she had a plan. She was like, okay. Now, also, my wife is a scientist. Um, she is a uh, molecular biologist by trade, and wow. she is a um, she is a, a d- director of quality at a wonderful company called Illumina. And um, so she just she makes plans in her sleep. And so she was like, okay. So if we if we have we have this to this, but if it goes further, we can go from this to this. So she had it planned out just in case this kind of thing might have happened. So we were we were ready. And um, I remember as far as artistically, I was like, you know, I'm just going to there's that moment where you kind of feel, oh, my God, I have to do something. And my wife was like, no, take this moment to chill out for a second. Don't, you know, break your brain trying to figure out what to do because we don't know what's going to happen. So I kind of chilled for a minute. And that's when I got the call from who I got the call from Disney. And they were like, hey, we want you to sing a medley on Good Morning America. And I was like, "Okay, great. And next thing you know, they were like, hey, that medley worked really well. We are now going to do something bigger called the Disney Family Sing-Along. Would you like to be a part of it? I was like, yes. So it was like Disney who called when the, the art the art started back up when they called to do these things just to, just to make people feel good because they were stuck at home. And once that happened, I started thinking, okay, now I see what I could be doing. So I started, you know, coming up with different things. And then, of course, animation opened back up and I started doing voiceovers. I'm in the closet right now. <laughs> and, and you sound wonderful. Thank you very much. The, you you actually uh, mm-hmm. you know have have probably better equipment than all of us put together. You know? <laughs> it is it is very it is for those people who are old enough. It is very A Team MacGyver in here. Um, uh, there was always yeah. a moment in the A Team where, like, some reason they had to build a tank off of BA's van. So my my room is kind of like that. It's like, how? What, Who's how, your face man? Uh, my wife. My wife is face. My wife is face. Your wife. Yeah, yeah, she's also yeah. Hannibal. I think I am only B.A. Baracus. I'm just angry. My wife is everybody. I'm, I'm B.A. Baracus. Do you fly? And, I, I do, but I'm always mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm B.A. Baracus and Murdoch, and my wife is every other cool character. Well, maybe you can musicalize that for us. That, you know? Listen, if we could do A-Team as a musical, uh, it would last one day, but it'd be damn fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, James, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. I want to remind our listeners, uh, Saturday, October 31st, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Vimeo, there will be something called The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is a Halloween night benefit concert in support of the Lymphoma Research Foundation and the Actors Fund. It's $4.99, folks. Come on, get out there and let's do this. If uh, for some reason, absolutely, there is an opportunity for... Uh, you to take a listen to this and watch and support the Actors Fund and Lymphoma Society. And for some reason, you're not able to do that. Email me at James at Broadway Radio. We'll buy it for you. So thank you so much, James. Yeah. My gosh, thank you for that. Thank you for that. That that means so much. Thank you so much for that. When Broadway reopens, please come back and uh, chat with us again. Mm -hmm. You got it. I, I would love to. Thank you, fellas. It was great. Can your friends do
Wow, that was great having a conversation with James oh, and so uh, and that uh, that event that's coming up this weekend is is really uh, not only chock full of talent and a really great idea and everything, but only four dollars and ninety nine cents. So uh, <laughs> seriously, uh, everybody should uh, should get in on that. That's uh, that's awesome. So, Michael. You uh, wanted to share with us some uh, some fun political humor that you saw from Chuck Cooper. Yes, uh, of course we're in the in the middle of election fever. We're down to the wire now, and I'm reading incredible stories about um, very long lines uh, for early yeah. voting. Mm-hmm. I I don't quite understand why so many people are are voting early, but I think it's just because they want to make sure they get it done, and mm-hmm. also. Uh, they they feel more confident if if they do it earlier and, and they don't want anything to prevent them from getting to the polls and i suppose it's a number of reasons so um whatever i think it's great and it's of course the election is a very very serious matter especially this mm-hmm. year but mm-hmm. uh but i do appreciate the fact that people are still able to retain their sense of humor about the situation in general and there was one thing I saw that I, that I just thought was so hilarious that I had to share it. Uh, someone posted on Facebook somewhere as a joke. Um, I'm thinking of attending Trump University in the fall. Uh. What should I study there? <laughs> and, um, there? One of the responses was from our friend Chuck Cooper, and his response was, English as a first language. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was worth a shout out for Mr. Cooper. <laughs> oh, that is that is good. I it was interesting. I, I was reading in the Washington Post uh, an article about wh- why people are are uh, voting early. Which it's interesting you bring that up. Oh, please tell um, me. It, a lot of it has to do with um, you know typically voting has been on. Uh, the t- first Tuesday after the first Monday of the month, uh, and and it's usually a work day for everybody, and so it's really hard to get to the polls for so many people. And and as you said, you know they're trying to make sure that their votes count this year, which uh, everybody. Right, but I was there. just thinking that uh, many many people now are, are not working uh, normal hours as they yeah to be but i guess you know they they just thought well this is really really important yeah and i can do it on the weekend when i you know when i can just it doesn't matter how long i have to wait sure and i want to get it done and i want to have my voice counted absolutely uh and the uh the broadway for biden folks they are out there every day i'm seeing them everywhere doing really great uh, great events online and uh, phone banking and texting and sending postcards and letters to people in swing states and uh, the Broadway for Biden folks are great. You can go to uh, broadwayvotes.com to uh, I think see. it's simply a case that uh, people can't wait to have their voice heard. They just cannot wait. Um, they want it to be um, established early and um, I think that has a lot to do with it. It makes them feel good that already they feel that they've taken action. I suppose so, yes. Uh, Peter, you took some action this week and jumped in the Felicia Mobile and headed mm-hmm. up to Connecticut, to Norwalk, to the Music Theater of Connecticut to see a play, a play called RFK. So yeah, um, people might have seen this play when it was um, off-Broadway mm-hmm. at the late lamented um, 45 Bleecker Street uh, Theater, which uh, I'm sorry has gone under even before the pandemic it went under. But uh, back in 2005, uh, Jack Holmes decided to um, write a play about uh, RFK, Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy, uh, who was on track to be the next president of the United States in 1968. Um, until uh, he was assassinated. And um, he takes us back to those days. And it's amazing. It's an amazing history lesson in the best sense of the word, because it brings up all sorts of issues that we forgot about or never knew, which is the ideal thing of something like this. And um, talking about his relationship with Lyndon Johnson, uh, what he felt about Lyndon Johnson from day one, uh, how he felt that Lyndon Johnson was not the ideal vice president, and here was a time when he and his brother Jack 
disagreed terribly on what should happen there. So there was real contention there. And that permeates the evening about what actually happened um, as a result of his brother not listening to him and what how history would have taken a completely different hmm. turn if indeed um, Robert F. Kennedy was listened to. And uh, being the younger brother, it was hard. So um, that was it. And of course, then um, feeling that he did not want to be involved in any presidential campaign, even when Johnson called him up and said, well, um, I'm not going to have you as my vice president. It was a slap in the face because he wanted to be asked, but he didn't want to be vice president either. But the more he saw about the escalation in Vietnam, the more he realized he had to do something. So Jack Holmes looks a good deal like um, RFK. And uh, obviously, he's not the only one who thinks so, because in 2014, there was a movie, Cesar Chavez, and he was cast. Jack Holmes was cast as indeed as RFK. So it's not as if uh, you know so many people say, I look like so-and-so, and people say, no, you don't. Well, obviously, um, he does look like RFK. Sounds like him, too. And what's really great, take it from this Bostonian, he does not overdo the Boston accent. So many people talk. I, mean, I hate when people say to me, you know, I, oh, you come from Boston. I mean, nobody says it like that. I mean, you know, so, <laughs> so he really does it very, very expertly, and that's terrific as well. But it's a really potent evening. And really, again, my hat is off to Music Theater of Connecticut. Uh, for being able to say, okay, we're still doing this. We're still going to put on shows. Uh, the next one is the uh, It's a Wonderful Life, the radio play, which is very popular at Christmas time, and that's coming up. But in the meantime, it's a very pleasant drive out to Norwalk, Connecticut, um, exit 17, by the way, and um, it, t- take a trip out. You'll have a good time, and you'll learn something, and you'll be very impressed at the expertise of Jack Holmes. Hmm. That is great, and uh, it it seems as though that Music Theater Connecticut is able to continue on with their schedule of of shows, and they're putting these things all together. Uh, This one is actually going through November 8th, uh, and do you know if uh, you are planning to go up to see further shows up there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan now. I mean, it really has... um been a place where that had not been on my radar i'm sorry to say and they they've been around for a long long time but um i uh, to be perfectly honest no i had not um heard of them and um and i'm very glad that uh they have done this so that i can be aware of them uh so very impressive very impressive indeed and um small space and um what happens um in this small space is that it has been reconfigured so that everybody will be as safe as possible. Um, the, the whole thing with taking your uh, temperature and all that, um, making they, they file you in as if you're in an airplane um, little by little, they mm-hmm. really want to make sure that you're not going to have any interaction with anybody that you don't have to. And um, so so under those circumstances, my hat is really off to Kevin Connors, who's really, really worked very, very hard to make sure that he is one of the few theaters in this nation right now to be doing work. They also have on the schedule, It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play adapted mm-hmm. by Joe Landry coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. Tenderfly, the Rosemary Clooney musical in April of 2021. And Buddy, That's actually bu- Tender Lee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was going to say, Bad what's font. that? Bad font. <laughs> Uh (laughs) it is tenderly (laughs) yeah yeah that was a big song of hers rosemary clooney was a pop singer in the uh, early 50s um i've seen the show it's very entertaining i saw it in um dayton um at the um human race theater i believe and um so it it really does a very good job in uh, showing who rosemary clooney was there are a lot of surprises that you wouldn't expect in her life. Uh, if you know who she was at all, she's in the movie White Christmas with Bing Crosby. Uh, and um, so if you've seen that movie, uh, she and Vera Ellen are the uh, leading ladies. And uh, so she had yeah. a great latter day career as a, as a cabaret and didn't she? Club artist. Yeah. Yes. She really reinvented herself. No question about that. And that's Saw part of the show as well. Many times at uh, the, the uh, original Feinsteins at the Regency uh-huh, and uh-huh. I think Rainbow and Stars. She, she was really extraordinary. Hmm. Uh, they uh, also have on their schedule for 
the summer of 2021 Buddy the Buddy Holly story, which uh, I'm excited about. I, I haven't seen Buddy in a really long time. Maybe That's I'll a get good point. To, yeah. to Connecticut to see this. That is a good so. point. Yeah, really, because it's, <laughs> it's hard to believe it's been 30 years since uh, mm. it was on Broadway. But that's the yeah. reality, because that's what Follow Chorus Line and is. If, yeah. And if I remember, I, I enjoyed the Buddy Holly story. Uh, the, uh, the uh, the play, and everybody talks about how great the concert was at the end mm. of the show. Yeah. That's uh, that's the thing that really put it over. So uh, we talked about um, for our topic this week to talk about shows that we have traveled for, and uh, we're sort of uh, we went longer with James Monroe Eigelhart than we had planned. So uh, I'm going to. Th- Ask each one of you to pick out one show that you have traveled for that you really wanted to talk about. So, uh, Peter, what's one show that you've traveled for that you really uh, enjoyed? I was working at a um, in an office on 45th and Lexington, and I could take you there and point you within a quarter inch of where I was standing when I opened up the New York Times and the little store that they had there and saw that Annie too was closing in Washington. Hmm. And I said, Oh, I'm going down there. I am definitely not missing the opportunity to see Annie too, whatever it is, because you know, it's trite now to say that you liked Annie because of course um, a lot of people don't like shows once they become shows that everybody knows, but uh, as someone who saw Annie at good speed and saw the potential and was there the second night of the Broadway run, purposely getting tickets for the second night, knowing it was going to get rave reviews and uh, wanting to see a cast that couldn't wait to do it for us, you know, so high knowing that they wouldn't have to look for a job for a long, long time. So Annie meant a lot to me. And as a result, I certainly want to see Annie too. And it was supposed to be this big hit. And it's really, in a way, it's too bad that um, it was closing in Washington because me and my girl, which was running at the Marquee Theater, was um, doing well. But uh, they would have to move, and uh, moving is expensive these days, and so they decided to close. And if any two hadn't happened, I bet me and my girl could have run another year. So it's really too bad that that impacted it. But everybody had the highest of hopes for any two. I still remember walking down the street and Peter Howard, uh, who uh, one of the great dance arrangements um, um, of all time. He did Dolly, he did Chicago, he did 1776. Mm-hmm. And each of those has a piece of dance music that drives me crazy with delight. So giving me a big, enormous button, which still lives in my apartment, um, Annie, <laughs> uh, sitting on top of the number two. And so um, I wasn't going to miss this at all. And I purposely went down on closing day, which was a Saturday, to see both performances, the matinee and the evening performance. And uh, what was really interesting was the fact that uh, Dorothy Loudon, who was the star of the show, did not do the matinee. So Dorothy Stanley, her understudy, did. And uh, Dorothy Stanley wasn't right for the role. And she was, she'd be the first to admit it because at the end of the show, when she took her curtain call, she put up her hand and let it fall down as if to say, look, I did the best I could, but this is not a part for me. I'm not the right person to play Miss Hannigan. So, uh, and of course, Dorothy Loudon was. So it was really something to see the show twice. And what was really wonderful is that um, even though they were closing, they were still working on it because they still said, okay, this still can work. We can still do something with it. And I was writing for theater week at the time and it became our cover story the following week um and uh, ken mandelbaum the great great uh, writer who uh, was famous but not since carrie uh the uh, the uh, front page the cover of the magazine i should say said uh what's next for annie too and it says ken mandelbaum thinks it's curtains peter felicia hopes for more well both of us turned out to be right um because um annie too didn't quite happen but annie warbucks did so <laughs> so that came along and uh, not that that worked splendidly or anything like that but i will tell you there's an album that was made many years later with some selections from um annie too and the terrific coney island number with a lot of peter howard dance music believe me and um, and a few other numbers too are really really good, and it makes a very good case for the show. So um, so I never regretted driving down and driving back on the same day because I had to be back the next morning early to do something, but I didn't care. I had to go. I had to see it, and um, I've never been sorry that I made that extraordinary effort of renting a car and all that kind of business to go down there. And that may be because I saw it twice. Um, the most potent of all the trips I've ever made to see shows here, there, and everywhere. Hmm. 
So uh, I have here on Wikipedia that it was called Annie Two Mrs. Miss Hannigan's Revenge. Was yeah. that the actual full title at the point? Yes, it was. Indeed, it was. Um, and uh, what it is is Miss Hannigan is um, out of jail now, and she wants to um, kidnap Annie. <laughs> and um, so, and and what was really um, interesting was that Annie Two was not just representative of the fact that Annie was having a sequel, but um, they were going to find somebody who looked like Annie. Um, I don't think that was the plan, actually. I think they found somebody who looked like Annie and thought they could make her look like Annie, so they would kidnap the real Annie and put a substitute in. And there was a song called You, You, You Can Be Annie Too. T O O. So, so that was the pun there. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, um, Charles Strauss, uh, who waste not, want not. It was actually uh, a song that was uh, I heard in Baltimore in applause called "Love Comes First. It was the same melody. Uh, it was the song that was replaced by something greater. If you know applause, uh, the eleven o'clock number. So, um, so that so there was a pun involved too. And um, again, um, this this album, by the way, um, has selections from uh, Annie too, but also has uh, another cast album of Annie involved as well. So it's a double CD set. But um, and it, it, Carol Burnett actually uh, narrates uh, part of the Annie Two um, album, and Martin Charnin's on it as well. The uh, man who certainly is responsible for Annie, um, who had the idea, who wrote the lyrics and directed as well, and uh, someone who started good speed. You know, people always say, "Oh, Mike Nichols really came in; he cleaned everything." No, 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 no. That direction was exactly what it should be at good speed. Sure, there were new songs added. Little Girls was added. You know, um, but. Still, it, you could tell that this was a big hit in the making because you walked in there thinking you weren't going to care about Annie. There was going to be this spoof. Um, they're probably going to white out the girl's eyeballs and all that kind of business. No, no, you really became emotionally involved in these two people, and it was really quite wonderful. So anyway, I'm sorry that Annie, too, didn't have um, as great a response at the Marquee Theater, that it never happened, and I felt bad for me and my girl, too. But still, I'll never be sorry I made that trip. For those people who think that we have these way out uh, storylines where they're going to find somebody who looks like Annie and replace and kidnap the original and replace <laughs> her with a double and things like that. Did you see Melania getting on uh, Marine One this weekend? Some are saying it's not Melania. It's a double that looks like Melania. I which is did like... hear that. <laughs> was, it, was it Laura Benanti? <laughs> you know, hey, Laura yeah. Benanti has a terrific new album. Yeah, Laura really Benanti's good. new album. Really In good. fact, yeah. uh, we're trying to get Laura on to oh, talk oh, about nice. her new, new album. Yeah, it's a great album. It's really wonderful. So, Michael, how about you? What have you traveled for that you'd like to uh, talk about? Well, you know, I'm actually going to pick D.C. as my location also. Mm-hmm. Um, I, first of all, I've, I've seen many shows there at the Signature Theater. They do such wonderful work, uh, so many in, over the past several years. Uh, I, I think two shows that would really leap out at me is, that I have to mention as being so great were they did an amazing production of West Side Story. And then they did that production of Titanic, which um, oh, yeah. quickly yeah. became legendary almost. Yes, and yeah, yeah. and um, I think that that was then uh, there was talk that uh, a version of that was done in, um, uh, was it Japan? Uh, that sounds right. By the same director. And then that was going to somehow come to uh to new york but uh i don't know what happened with that it was it seemed like you know this was before covid um for for whatever reasons uh it was delayed and uh, probably funding whatever i i do hope you know certainly that when we have theater again that that might come to new york because it was really unbelievably extraordinary um but the most incredible amazing breathtaking Thing that I traveled to see in DC was the Sondheim Festival of uh, 2002, uh, which was certainly one of the highlights of my life. I found an article um, from February of 2002 from Billboard that I, I thought a little brief article that I would read that just kind of gives an interesting summary about it and how successful it was. Um, it says uh, Stephen Sondheim is proving to be a box office bonanza. Hmm. 
for the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. Its record for single-day ticket sales was shattered Monday when seats went on sale for a, for a four-month uh, celebration of Broadway's preeminent composer-lyricist that begins at the Arts Complex in May. Um, then it gives kind of sp- specific uh, numbers about the ticket sales. Um, then there's a quote uh, Quote, one of the reasons we are doing this festival is to dispel certain myths, Michael Kaiser, the center's president, said Tuesday. And one myth is that Sondheim works are not accessible and not popular. Uh, between uh, what was sold Monday and Tuesday and what already has been purchased by groups and subscribers, the festival already is more than 50% sold out. This is several months before it started. Um, Kaiser, Kaiser said he expected all the tickets for the festival, which ends in August, to be gone in six to eight weeks. More than 25% of the ticket sales were from outside the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, with 13% from New York, according to Kaiser. Uh, orders were received from 41 states and such countries as Australia, Japan, Portugal, Sweden, and Great Britain. Uh, the Sondheim celebration, which includes full productions of six Sondheim musicals, starts May 10th with Sweeney Todd, starring Brian Stokes Mitchell and Christine Baranski. Also being performed in the festival, which concludes August 25th, our company, Sunday in the Park with George, Merrily We Roll Along, Passion, and A Little Night Music. The cast include a who's who of New York's musical theater performers, including Rebecca Luker, Melissa Errico, Raul Esparza, Judy Kuhn, Alice Ripley, Emily Skinner, and John Barrowman. Uh, so far, Sweeney Todd has been the bestseller, with company and a little night music close behind, according to Kaiser. Lines at the box office Monday were long, often stretching into the foyer of the center. And at one point, the Kennedy Center website was receiving 55 requests per second for information on the festival. So, um, you know, so much for uh, limited audience for Sondheim. Uh, those shows were, every one of them was superb. And I would say several of those shows, uh, I saw every one except Passion. Uh, I would say several of the five that I saw were the best productions of the individual shows that I have seen, including Company, certainly Company, uh, certainly Merrily We Roll Along. Uh, but every one of them was great. And um, the only reason I didn't see Passion was because at the time I, w- I had not been won over by the show yet based on the original production, the original Broadway production, which I think was extremely problematic. Uh, since then, I have seen several other productions that have won, my, have won me over, including <laughs> one at the Signature Theater. Uh, in D.C., which had Natasha Diaz uh, in it. And uh, so there again, uh, D.C. for me uh, has become, uh, in recent years, the, the second city for me, uh, just partly because of accessibility. But uh, they, they do such wonderful stuff there. I used to see more, more uh, shows in Boston, and, and that has slowed down for several reasons. I, I'm, I'm sure, and I hope that they still have wonderful stuff up there. But, um, but really, I, I, would, I would urge anyone, any New Yorker um, who has not sampled the theatrical fair in D.C. to, to do so w- when that opens up again, because... Um, it's it's really quite extraordinary, and as I say, relatively quite easily accessible, um, and and cheaply if one wants to buy. I, I almost always travel by bus, and it's it's quite affordable. Uh, they, it's just a, um, a, a amazing smorgasbord of of shows that they have there at the several several theaters there uh include several in addition to the the two major ones that i just mentioned so yeah two votes for uh for dc in fact more than two votes because we we just have so many uh kennedy center arena stage signature i mean uh the ford's theater um the shakespeare Shakespeare, shakespeare theater i mean I mean, seriously, you, uh, you can you can spend a lifetime down there seeing some really really wonderful theater. Yes, uh, down there. Uh, for me, in uh, February of two thousand, I took a, 
uh, some time off of work and kind of went out to London and uh, helped produce a uh, concert of Sweeney Todd with Link Hario, Judy Kay, and Davis Gaines. Oh, wonderful. Um, and behind the scenes, it was a total train wreck uh, from, from a production standpoint. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of scandal involved. The producer took off with the box office and things McDonald's. like that left us all, le- left me standing at the hotel with Len, Judy, and Davis. Oh, my God. Uh, and the room's not paid for. Uh, and but on stage, it was unbelievably wow. gorgeous. It was at the Lo- London's Royal Festival Hall, mm-hmm. uh, and and had a ton of West End stars that uh, did the other roles. Len, of course, was uh, Sweeney. Mm-hmm. Judy was Love It. Uh, Davis was Anthony, uh, and it was just. I mean. Uh, I spent months working on the production and the time in London and with that talent, it was just, uh, I I couldn't think of any better way to spend, uh, you know, some time, uh, you know, developing, you know, uh, my love of, of Sweeney and Sondheim and all these folks who were involved from every aspect of this production. It was really, really wonderful. And like I said, uh, watching the production was top-notch. And then the the aftermath of it was kind of a, a total disaster uh, of it. But, mm-hmm. um, Did I, they ever catch the guy? <sighs> well, he, you know, he's still in London and he's still producing and he's... And you know, wow. for some reason, nobody ever caught up with with him about it. But um, you know, it was one of those things where I, I feel as though that he wasn't malicious. Mm. I feel as though that uh, he didn't know how to run a business, mm. and mm. Uh, he just came up tremendously short. I mean, he had very huge. Uh, artistic plans and they cost a lot of money and that the box office just didn't cover it. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, people come to me and they say, oh, we're going to do this quote-unquote benefit concert. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And and uh, first thing I say to everyone is <laughs> if it were easy, everybody would do it all the time. Mm, right, it, it, right. It's, it's not... it. You know the the pros make it look easy, yeah. so mm-hmm. it, it's very mm-hmm. very very difficult to do that. But uh, th- I think that that is the furthest I have gone to for a specific production. But certainly, I've traveled. I've been lucky to travel all over the world and and see theater all over the world. But this was the the reason for going for mm-hmm. this uh, for this production. Yeah. So uh, that kind of wraps it up for today. Uh, before we get on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it will be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you can find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? A certain play by Edward Albee didn't get any Tony Awards or even a single nomination. Look carefully at its title, though, and you'll find within it the first name of a character in a hit musical. The performer who played the character, musical's title character, in fact, won a Tony in the one and only time that this performer ever did a musical on Broadway, although an appearance in a revival of a Broadway play came many years later. So what am I talking about? The Albee play is from 1968. It was called Quotations from Chairman Mao Tse-Sung. Hmm. In the word chairman, you'll find the letters I-R-M-A, as in Irma LaDuce. <laughs> which got a Tony win for Elizabeth Seale, who returned to Broadway only once in the 1983 revival of The Corn is Green. Tony Janicki was the first to get it, followed by Paul Witte, Sean Logan, Brigadude, Mike Meany, and Richard Carey. This week's question, reasonably convoluted, since you seem to respond to those, but we'll see. (laughs) 
We've all been told that the best musical theater songs move the action forward. But a Tony-winning musical had a comedy song in its second act that didn't. After one more song was sung, this comedy song was reprised. But it still didn't move the action forward. However, when this musical was made into a film, the lyrics to the song were rewritten. Now it included two characters who were in the show on Broadway, yes, but weren't in the number on Broadway. And now the song did move the action forward. What's the song, the show, the two characters who sang in the film, and how did it move the action forward? <laughs> All right. If you have the answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. A little story, something kind of like an allegory, let you know about this day that was so fine and dandy when I met this girl named Candy. Yes, it's true. I met this girl named Candy. She was so cool. Now I was about 12 years old and I was in junior high and I walked up to this girl and I said I've got to say hi and at the time you know that song from New Edition of course was called Candy so I walked up to her and I had to sing that little melody I said Candy how you doing baby how you been and she said what is your name I said I'm James your new boyfriend now I didn't know that candy already had a